You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael easily answers your biblical or theological questions in 10 minutes or less. Today's question is about communion and comes from Audie. She writes, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where after the description of Jesus sharing bread and wine during the Passover meals, that it says that this should become a ritual as in something that you do in church or at a gathering. I've often wondered why we don't just do this at home every day. It's like when we break bread at supper time and have our drink. Why don't we just say it and remember that Christ died for us, broke his body, and shed his blood for us? Does it have to be something that we do in church? When did communion and church become a thing, and how do the scriptures support what we do? You know, this is an interesting observation, and frankly, I would not thought about it Hmm. before she sent the question. So let's do a little tiny history. Passover. Yep. This is the final plague of the 10 plagues of Egypt. And the ritual was a goat or a lamb, Mm -hmm. very precise, very detailed. But here's the short version cut it, bleed it, put the blood on the doorpost and lentil of the house. There was unleavened bread Mm -hmm. and bitter herbs and other things. They were to dress in haste. Mm-hmm. Gird their loins, basically pull up your your long clothes so you can run. Uh-huh. And unleavened bread was the hasteful thing. And that was a very specific Exodus 12 and following instruction for a perpetual memorial. Okay. Fast forward New Testament. Jesus Christ, no misunderstanding whatsoever. He went to Passover his Every whole life. Every year, yeah. His whole life. Twice a year probably. Oh, twice a year. His, his mom and life. dad took him up to Jerusalem for uh-huh. the Feast of Passover, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, other festivals that would go up at least twice a year. And so he's probably certainly in utero going up and down and as a baby going up and down. And we know when he's about 12, he's there. Right. Okay. So this is part of his life. When his public ministry begins. Yes. He's with the apostles, and then we fast forward to the end of his life. Now, we know, well, I think we can be very confident during that time with Jewish disciples, he's commemorating Passover in those three years. But the most important one is the so-called Last Supper. Sure. It's included in all the synoptics, Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. We could talk about John if you want to. The Lord's Supper now is a specific fulfillment of the new covenant. Okay. That goes back to Jeremiah 31. So each of those gospel records account a number of things. Giving thanks, breaking bread, Uh sharing the cup. Let's just talk about those three. Uh He says, this is my body broken for you. Uh This is the cup of the new covenant. Uh And then Paul will add the expression, each time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh So this is the so-called institution of the Lord's Supper. And then he finishes it, Luke 22, 19, do this in remembrance Uh of me. So time out. Jesus was having the Passover meal with his 12. And then he's kind of, at least recorded in the scriptures, has highlighted these three elements. Uh, Okay. Well, the gospel record—that's the, the gospel record. That's right. what they bring out. Yes. I mean, a lot yes, more yes, yes. said. Of course, of course. A true Pascha today. There's seven cups, and there's all kinds of readings mm-hmm. that they do. I've been to them, and some of them are very consistent with the Exodus account. But back to the New Testament. So, when he says, "Do this in remembrance of me," the question becomes: Is that a memorialized event that we're supposed to do again and again and again? Okay. That's what she's kind yep. of asking. Yeah. Okay. Now. There are two ordinances the local church has, Lord's Supper and baptism. Okay. Each one of these, if you think through it, needs to be public. Mm-hmm. It needs to be among people. Okay. So let's talk about the new covenant. The new covenant fulfillment was the Holy Spirit would indwell them 
They would speak with other languages to mm-hmm. affirm and authenticate the gospel. Mm-hmm. The law was no longer written only in the Torah, but in their lives, in their hearts, their hearts uh-huh. what the text says. So the new covenant is the fulfillment of all the broken covenants. Yep. And it's unilateral, by the way. So this covenant, Jesus does it all. So when he says commemorate that, why would you do that privately? Let's fast forward to Acts. Acts 2.42 is very instructive. This is Pentecost has occurred, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the disciples are basically being kind of overwhelmed with things. So we turn to Acts 2.42, where we learn this pattern. It says they were continually devoting themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So this is hmm. the new church where 3,000 were not only came to Christ, but they were baptized, the text says, mm-hmm. and now they're meeting communally. Mm-hmm. And then later on in that same passage, verse 46, day by day with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart and praising God. And he goes on to say, the Lord was adding to their number every day, Mm -hmm. those who are being saved. Mm -hmm. So this is the birth of the church. And we see this daily gathering. Now it's, it's house churches. We don't have buildings today. By the time you get to Pauline literature, especially first Corinthians, it's very instructive. There are a whole bunch. I always tell people, think of correction mm-hmm. whenever you read the word Corinth uh-huh. because it's innumerable what Jesus or what Paul is correcting that the local church is messed up. Chapter 14 specifically addresses when the church comes together. Okay. Corporate worship. Yeah. Chapter 10 and 11 in 1 Corinthians are all about the practice of the Lord's Supper. I love chapter 10 verse 31 whether you eat or drink Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I love that. Some of my Reformed friends will pray a meal and say, we're eating to the glory of God. I love that. So this was corporate. This wouldn't be private. And he goes on to say, don't offend the Jews or the Greeks, uh, the church of God. So everything in this context is the meeting of the church. So by the time we get to 11 where he's really correcting them on the misuse of the Lord's Supper. He's going to give them very specific instructions. Now, when you do this, this is what you do. I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. This is the church. He's not talking about individuals. Mm -hmm. And then he says, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then he gives this warning about not eating or drinking incorrectly and that you shouldn't come hungry and overeat at the Lord's Supper. So it had to be a gathering. Mm-hmm. So we can't say this chapter and verse says it must be the church, but the context of all these passages is about the meeting mm-hmm. and assembling. A couple other things. The Passover was to teach children because hmm. your children, children, children don't know about the miracles. Oh. They didn't experience the Parting 10 the plagues. Just, they didn't, yeah. yeah. And think about that. After that experience, everybody over 20 dies. Right. So the 20-year-olds, basically teenagers, are left with the story now, and their children will get secondhand accounts of what God did. Yeah. 
and the importance of Passover was critical for the Jew to teach their children. And so again, it would make sense in a synagogue setting. We use the phrase, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which is what Paul says. So when you drink the cup, you're saying, I'm proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. What good does that do if you're not in corporate gathering? It's his church he's talking about, Mm -hmm. not the family. Now, I wholeheartedly believe there's times when you commemorate Lord's Supper, not in a physical gathering of the church. If someone's sick, if you're on a retreat, you know. It's not wrong. Right, (laughs) right. It's not wrong. We were part of a brethren-esque assembly when we attended seminary, and they had the Lord's Supper every Sunday Mm -hmm. in what was called the meeting of the church. And we cherished that. We loved that. But there was intentionality. There was teaching done. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just, you know, we've all been in churches where, you know, come down and get it. Yeah. I fight that tenaciously in our church. I do not want to do it perfunctory without teaching. And I think many churches are guilty. And that's more, in my mind, more egregious than doing it around the kitchen table. So these two ordinances need to be in the church because it's a public statement. I'm getting baptized. People need to know this. Mm -hmm. I'm commemorating and remember what Jesus did for me. I'm doing this in the assembly. I mean, think about, and I've done baptisms at pools, and I have very mixed emotions about it because sometimes you can't get it done in a local church. Our church right now is not configured to have a baptism. We'd have to do some creative things, and that's not right or wrong, but I sort of resist doing the pool with family, because the whole point was identification. Mm-hmm. But in Acts, I mean, who is it that baptized the eunuch? True. I mean, it's not like True. there are all these yeah, mass it's gatherings. Not wrong. It's not wrong, but it's more fitting to do. I mean, we just read 3,000 were baptized. Right. That's so a public a lot of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a public thing. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, and, and again, remember, Zizbar, the mikvah, was the Jewish ritual washing. They were well aware of, quote, a baptism before you went into temple. Mm -hmm. So this is not a foreign concept to a Jew. Mm -hmm. The difference was I'm identifying with Christ in my baptism, Mm -hmm. not being ritually washed, which is why I don't like it when pastors and churches say you were united with him in baptism Hmm. and you're born in the newness of life. And they use Romans 6 for that. And I'm going, yeah, that's not completely wrong, but it's not that passage is spiritual baptism, not water baptism. Mm. Water baptism in Matthew three seventeen is this is my beloved son yep. in whom I am well pleased. Yep. Listen to him and John the Baptist, Mikvah, he goes off scene yep. and baptism now as identification. So when Jesus says baptize them in the Great Commission, you're identifying them as followers. Mm-hmm. So take the two ordinances Jesus gave to his church, and I think it's our shepherding responsibility that we hold these things dear and teach what they mean about remembrance and about identification and baptism. All right. If you've got a question for Dr. E, call us, text us, email us. The info is in the show notes. Ask Dr. E is part of the Michael Easley in Context ministry. You can find more shows and resources at michaelincontext.com. Ask Dr. E is produced by me, Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic and music composed by Jason Germain. 